Lilith Zarling, right? Makes me think of Lilith Darling. Lilith <laughs> Darling. How are you today, darling? You know, uh, I'm surviving. This actually hasn't been too bad for me. I have friends that are also freaks. <laughs> Enjoying all of this. I am. I actually quit my full-time job on March 6th to start my own business. Oh. And I took two part-time like retail jobs just to keep money in while I grew my business, and they both closed a week after I started. <laughs> What's your business? I do life coaching. Oh, I made jokes about being a life coach, and oh, they cool. advertised me a certification for it. And I was like, those who can't do, teach. Well, I can do and I can teach, so. I'm not good at living life, um, but I'm really good at giving other people advice on how to do it correctly because I did it incorrectly. And so I'm like, more of like, I can tell them what will happen if they don't do it correctly. Exactly. I had uh, 45 years of a mismanaged life and I've turned it around in five years. And so now it's just like, all right. Now you don't have to make these mistakes. Mismanaged life. Oh, oh, so bad. I'm going to steal that for a comedy album. You do it. Just give me credit or like a free autographed copy of your album. Mismanaged life. That sums up, that sums me up so perfectly. (laughs) Just a mismanaged life, man. You know, I mean. I've gotten better though. Of course, because you found your voice and you're you're unlearning all the things you were taught about yourself. Right. Um, oh my God! Yes. Yeah. Comedy. Um, of course, I can't do that now. <laughs> yes, you can. I'm doing my one person show on Facebook. It's awful, but I'm doing it. It's not the same. It's not the Maybe. same satisfaction. It's not, I've done some online shows and they're, they're fine. They, they help while they're happening, but then when it's over, I'm just like, "Hmm." (laughs) it's like being really hungry and just eating like a marshmallow. It's like, well, I guess I'm not really hungry anymore, but I don't have anything I needed. Yeah. Like I stayed an ice cream cone. Yeah. Eating real food. And now I'm like, yeah, I should have really eaten something healthier. <laughs> uh, excuse me. That's okay. It's <laughs> that ice cream cone. So we're informal here. We're informal. I can edit that out. No podcast. No, it has to be real and raw, and they have to hear everything. Or wait, are you a? Are you on Fat Lonely Bitch? Or are you on Art of Comedy? I think I'm Art of Comedy. Okay. Then I mean, I suppose I, can, I suppose I can do both. Then some of this has to be um, on a point. Yeah, sure. Like, Fat Lonely Bitch, I don't edit it at all. And I tell them that in the beginning, I'm like, this is not going to be edited. So just know before anything comes out of your mouth, it's on record. Um, but now it's like... Well, you should definitely have me back for that, then. Yeah. Well, I end up getting both in the art of comedy. I just edit out the good parts. And then I slap the rest up on Fat Lonely Bitch. So, um, you could end up on both. Perfect. Um, so, to stay on task for art of comedy... Yeah. Um, Are you aware of what we are exactly doing at the nonprofit? Not exactly. I've I've um I've seen your you do the art of comedy the the comedy festival every year. Yes. Yes. Last year it was in Wichita. Yep. And now it's supposed it was supposed to be in Denver and it is a fundraiser for the nonprofit. Right. Whenever it gets to happen. Yeah, I wanted to do Wichita last year, but it was too close to like two other uh, festivals I was in. Mm-hmm. And then this year, with quitting my job and like doing all this, I could I didn't apply for Denver. Yeah, where are you located? I'm in Richmond, Virginia. 
Virginia. Yeah. Yeah, I um yeah, we'll see. And then um so how long have you been oh wait, the art of comedy, what we're doing for the nonprofit yeah. is um giving classes to starting with women and then LGBTQIA and then troubled youth to take comedy and improv classes. Um, working with different organizations already in place that service those communities, um, shelters and whatnot, hopefully haven't gotten any contacts with those people yet, but I'm gonna try to set up some Zoom meetings and stuff. Um, but yeah, to uh, teach them improv and comedy to just because it's helped me so much, I know it would help them. Uh -huh. Just want to help everybody. Oh my God. And yeah. I found, I think, a way to help people and my love of the art of comedy. So, uh, how long have you been doing comedy? Gosh, I've been doing improv for 16 years. And I did stand-up from 2008 until early last year, and I, I stopped doing stand-up. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess I was good at it. People told me I was good at it, whatever that means. Um, I just didn't enjoy it. it. You know, I just don't enjoy it as much as I do improv. And right now I have, like, a one-person improvised show, and people are like, well, let's do a that in stand-up. And I'm just like... You'd have to sit, come see the show. Don't make me tell you. <laughs> yeah, and if you're improvising while you're up there, it's not a pre-planned set. Yeah, yeah, I definitely like wouldn't go to like a comedy club where people are expecting like a stand-up club comic and do my one-person show. Like it's just yeah. different. Uh, I do a lot of characters. I do a lot of audience interaction. Yeah. But um, no, I totally, I totally appreciate what you're trying to do by getting people. To, to take classes, I think, you know, starting improv in whatever, 2003, 2004, kind of really helped me find myself and helped me with my transition. Um, it's funny, I was talking to like another artist today who's also trans, and it was just kind of like having that art space is a way to take control, especially for trans women, in a way that they have been unable to in their entire lives. Like you've spent your whole life being told that what you think about yourself is wrong and you have to be a certain way and you have all these, these things in your brain that are telling you, you can't do this, you can't do this because it's quote unquote wrong. And then once you find that outlet, that outlet in your art where you can, you can get that out and you can, you can say what you want and you can express yourself in any way you want. Uh, and people can't really control that. Like my friend is a painter, so she can paint whatever she wants and someone can't come in and say that. And for me, improv was just like, being on stage and for the first time being me and people like laughing and accepting who I am and loving who I am. And it was just like the first step on like this road to realization that there's no reason for me to carry all this stuff that I've been taught, you know, as it, since I was a kid. Yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm actually happy you like improv better than stand-up. I haven't had a real good discussion with anybody that's, um, Primarily an improv person. I mean, I'm not an improv person. I still see the value in improv. Um, I would, I would, I'm definitely interested in taking some classes. Um, I, I'm not very good at it, uh, and I don't necessarily enjoy it like I do stand up. So, I mean, I've, I've done it. Um, but yeah, I just exercise a different part of my brain. I think it would be good for me as a stand up comedian, but at the end of the day, it would all be about making my comedy better. But yeah. Yeah, to hear how improv helped you. I mean, it's the same. And, and, and once again, I'm proving I had a theory. I had a theory about improv. Lay it on me. Helping. Well, helping in the same way that stand up yeah. helped. And that's exactly how stand up helped me. Um, yeah. yeah, in ways that pour over to my, my entire life, not just when I'm on stage. So, yeah. And, uh, so you just, yeah, my theory is correct. Yeah, well, some student, there was a student that I used to, when I started stand-up, I was in Charlottesville uh, near the University of Virginia. And one of the students there was like doing, like for a class project, just like interviewing people about the local comedy scene. And I did my interview and then 
um, some of the people saw it and there was this part where they're like, like, why do you do stand up? And I'm just like, for five minutes, everyone has to listen to me. Like, I have no, I have no like great plans on like being this world famous comic. It's just like for five minutes, this, this the stage is mine and y'all have to listen to me. And like I said, I started stand up in 2008. I don't think I could have been to that point in my life if I haven't started with improv where I can just go on stage and be like, you're all listening to me. So I think a lot of times it just depends on, on what you're more comfortable with. And for me, like I have, I still have a lot of blocks with writing, you know, from things that, you know, you, you have to unlearn these things, like from my childhood that I'm no good at certain things. And so I have these blocks while writing and with improv, there's none of that. Like I don't have to judge what I'm doing. I just have to do it. And so just going out and doing art and then getting positive feedback is phenomenal, you know, as opposed to writing and then like rewriting and just like beating myself up because I can't get it perfect. When in reality, is anything ever perfect? No. 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 No, my, yeah, I just see all my jokes as, you know, evolving. None of it them. Has to be. Yeah. None of them are set in stone. Um, I have, I do have trouble with some things because a lot of my comedy is just, it's, well, it's all just my life. And sure. I've had to kind of let go of this feeling like I'm lying when I say, make something sound like it was recent when it was really 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a liar and I don't like it. Um, I was just at the mall today. You were just at the mall today. Yeah, just, just flew into Richmond to do a show at the Funny Bone, but you were just at the mall today. Okay, whatever. <laughs> earlier today, you know. Um, recently, I yeah. Um, one time, sometimes I say like, yeah, there was this one time, and then so you just don't really even know what time period I'm talking about. It could be high school. It could be now. I have 42. This one time. That's totally fine. As long as, you don't, as long as you don't start all your stuff with a question, like, that's fine. But like, there's nothing worse than going to a, a, a show and they're like, so, who likes pizza? Who's ever smoked weed? Who's been to the hospital? Who's got parents? You're like, what is this, some sort of, some sort of survey for a corporation or something? Like, there's, are you satisfied with your long-distance provider? There's a comedian in Denver that has, like, a joke that is, like, mocky of people like that. And he's like, you guys like cream cheese? <laughs> he ends it like that. And I don't think audiences enjoy it as much as I do, but. Uh, that's a joke for the comics, though. That's not for the audience. It's a joke. <laughs> you guys like some cream cheese? Um, yeah, with local comedians, you get to know their jokes, and you're like, oh, they're going to do that one. Here <laughs> I had one guy tell me that uh, when I was doing stand-up, he's like, I really like your stand-up because with everyone else, I have like all their bits and like, here comes this. And he's like, I can never do that with you. And it's just because like, whatever it is, like I get dissatisfied fairly quickly with what I'm doing. And so I just move on to my, like, I'm always right. I was always like just doing new material. Yeah. And never like, doing it and I think it's this thing where I'm always just like chasing this excitement of going on stage with nothing and and just proving that I can do it uh, my, whatever that means about me yeah my material is all about my life so there's always new material and then mm -hmm. um, yeah I'm always making new material I don't until you die you will always be making new material that's the reason I love comedy um, and any of the entertainment arts, you know, it, it never ends. You're never like, I made it, I'm done. Um, it doesn't matter how big or famous you get, you got to keep writing. You got to have a new hour. You got to have a new special. Like, And just the more famous you get, the more pressure there is to write and write and write and make it new and better. And then you're just compared to your old self. Like, oh, I really like her, but she was better in the 80s. You know what I mean? And then... Ugh, all the people and their fucking expectations would be annoying. Yeah. Well, you can always just do a Steve Martin and quit. Huh? Just do a Steve Martin and quit. Yeah. I'm it's never going to be a banjo player. I'm not going to have to worry about that. 
Yeah, I think if you're worried about that stuff, you're focusing on the wrong thing. It's like, I think, what am I going to do once I'm too famous to keep doing this? Yeah, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't have any aspirations of being, like, famous in a mass media type way. Uh, a household name situation. I yeah. want to be friends with those people, though. <laughs> now, I want to be invited to their secret weddings on islands. Um, yeah. But no one knows who I am. I walk down the street and they have no idea. Yeah. I want money. I just want whenever a trans comic gets their own sitcom, I want to be the, I want to play their mom in a special episode once a season, uh, just so I can get paid. I can get health insurance through SAG, and I can get nominated for a special guest Emmy. That's it. Just like one episode where I play your mom. That's a reasonable, obtainable goal. Yeah. And who doesn't want me as their trans mom? Come on, be real. I, I, I could totally see it. Not that you look old. <laughs> I am old, so. You're not that much older than I am. You're like 45, I'm 42. Well, I'm 50. What are you talking about? No, you're 50. Yeah. You're 50. <laughs> oh, damn, you are old. <laughs> well, shit. That's a horse of a different color. You're too old for this podcast. I've had older. I've had older than me. Yeah. I, she's a comedian. She's in Chicago now. And she, I love it because she's like, you know, 60 and she has jokes about sex and sex toys. And to see the kids in the audience, like, because she's like grand, their grandma or their mother's age for sure. And like, yeah, women in their 60s still get horny. Ha <laughs> ha. Surprise! Hello! Hi! Um, we don't just really, you, know, you know all the tricks of the trade. I mean, come on. No, yeah. I mean, no one bats an eye when a dude is still sexually active at 60. It's like, yeah, of course. But Yeah, but we don't have, you know, uh, older women don't need to take a pill to be sexually active. Like, we just know how to do what we need to do. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. They, yeah. But uh, you're not the oldest person I've ever interviewed. Um, trying to get a variety of variety of people. That wasn't what I was shooting for, so. Yeah, you're not the only trans woman I've interviewed. One other, I. Well, that I did. No, forget it. I don't. Want to I would love to interview a trans man, but I really I don't know any. Um, well, I mean, I know some that aren't comedians. Yeah. Um, I've only met one. Well, I didn't even meet him. He was in Des Moines and at a mic that I stopped in on my way up to Chicago. Yeah. I remember his name and I wanted to talk to him. But I uh, also found him very attractive. And yeah, so he's a trans I, dude. Those dudes are hot. I couldn't talk to him. Um, and he was so funny. I was just so intimidated. I was sad. I just, I didn't have a real reason to go talk to him other than tell him he was funny and just gush over him, which was stupid. You know, if I had comics to talk, hate that, huh? Comics hate that. Yeah. Well, I didn't want him to think I was trying to bone him, um, which I wasn't. I, I was in a relationship, so I, I wasn't trying to bone him, but. My face gives away everything. He'd know. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, I try until like a 13-year-old, like, seventh grader when I find someone attractive and try to talk to them. Yeah. It doesn't matter what their gender is or anything. I'm just like, uh, uh, hi, uh, uh. <laughs> Yeah. Um... I wish I had. I wish I could figure out who he was. Um, and this was like three years ago. But I haven't ever seen or met another trans man. Um, comedian. Hmm. Um, maybe, maybe you have. You just don't know. Um, not, I don't think so. How would you? You, you might not know. Well, I know most of the comedians in Denver. Yeah, but you could be anywhere and you just travel around. You meet someone you don't yeah. know. Yeah. Then I wouldn't know they were a comedian or trans, but 
I'm just saying like at Mike's in comedy scenes I've been in, I've never run across another one. And there has to be. And if not, there should be. And I want to make more. There are. Just Google search. We need to have more of them. There should yeah. be some in every scene. I know they're there. And I know they're funny. They just need to be given the right. I don't know what we're thinking of there. They need to be given the right encouragement. There we go. Yeah. But that's part of it too. It, part of the nonprofit is to, you know, hunt down trans people <laughs> and force them into well, comedy. This whole Mike Pence thing? Yeah, we're going to hunt down trans people. What? And force them to what? Comedy. Ah, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Um, just all voices that we don't hear a lot of in the in the comedy world, you know, yeah. um, because those comedians become actors who then can become in you know voices in in the media. Eventually, you know, when we can stop casting cis people as trans people. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> It's a slog. I mean, that's what we got to work on, I guess. Yeah. Well, yeah. I feel like when there's a good pool of them, then they won't be able to deny it anymore that there wasn't anybody to get, you know what I mean? All right. Like, yeah, there was. There's like a hundred of them right over here. Perfect for well, like, like, look at the Hollywood system just works so, it's just like, you got, you got something you want to do. If you get a star attached, then you can get it done. Well, it's like, if you want to do a story about a trans person, like, how many trans actors are there that you get attached that would be big enough to make the project happen? You know, it's just like the system, the system is as broken as everything in America. And part of it is also like, it's broken and we keep playing the system. It's just like, why do people keep lining up? Like we, we live in a world where you can put your stuff out there. You can run your own shows. You can, you can make your own, you can be the center of your own scene if you want to put the work in, but we'd still rather just be like, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to do the open mic night chuckle hut and hope they pick me to be an MC one day. And then hopefully I MC the night and the, the headliner really likes me. And then he asks me to be the feature next time he's in town. It's just like, just go do your own shit. Like, why are you waiting in line? There, there's no need to wait in line anymore. You can, you can buy, you can get the equipment. I'm sure every scene, you know, someone who has video equipment, like you can do your own movie, you know, do, do your own documentary. You can try your own things. You can experiment. Like I just like, like my show, like I do my show all across the country, you yeah. know, because I like was sick of trying to get it booked locally. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to just do my own thing. That's what um, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely into DIY comedy. Um, way more than I am concerned with going the comedy club route. Yeah. Um, because, and granted, my experience with comedy club crowds is limited. But um, I know that most of most of the comedy clubs are not very big, like the mm -hmm. one in Wichita. That whole loony bin. I mean, they have one in Wichita, Tulsa, Oklahoma City and uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. So it can get, that gives you an idea of <coughs> the kinds of crowds yeah. that frequent those. And they're just not my crowd, man. Yeah. I mean, they're not my crowd. It's not my thing. I don't, uh, yeah, they don't enjoy me. So why would I want to be forcing myself upon them? Uh, <laughs> you know, but there are people that are really, like my little brother is doing will do very well in that career path of the, you know, more of a corporate career path, um, just because of his kind of humor and his ability to make friends better than yeah. me. Well, I think the main thing is, especially with like women in comedy is to not see, I mean, we all know, like, you know, whatever, 90, you know, 78% of all of bookings go to dudes or whatever it is. And to, instead of just seeing that as something that's like a wall in front of you or an impediment, 
um, see that as an opportunity to, to do your own thing. If you, if you're in a scene where like the open mics are trashy and offensive, instead of just like sitting there and going to it's like, why don't the, you know, why don't you just open the ladies only open mic and make it the best open mic in town and get people to come out to that. So, um, just because something's done some way doesn't mean that's the only way it has to be done. For sure. And, yeah. Um, I really, I really think like if more comics, more performers would just take that, that idea that like, holy cow, we can do anything. Like I, when I was doing stand up, I was like making connections. I'd try to make connections with like people who ran like uh, a show in a bar and they got paid a percentage of the bar. And I'd be like, hey, I've come down headline. And so what? I made 50 bucks. You know what? I've been doing stand up for, for three years. And I did three shows in three nights in Tennessee and Georgia. And I walked away with like 150 bucks. Paid for gas, maybe. Who yeah. gives a fuck? It was the experience of like going out and doing it. Definitely. Um, that's how it's. You have to build a brand. You have to build an audience. You have to build a brand. And the only way to do that is to get out there. If all you're doing is open mics in your hometown, if you call someone in North Carolina and be like, hey, I want to do a show, they're like, well, what kind of audience do you have? And you're like, well, I'm the most third most popular open micer in whatever town I'm in. You know, that doesn't mean anything. No. You got to go out and do it. Yeah, I, uh, I started producing shows really early, like six months in, maybe, tops. And um, I did it because I started in Wichita and there just wasn't, there weren't a lot of shows. There weren't yeah. any regular shows. And so if I wanted to be on a show, I either had to wait for somebody to throw me a scrap or I had to just make one. But I started late. You know, I was like 38 and I'd already had experience with the corporate world and marketing. And I used to produce shows for bands back in 2006. I mean, I knew the business side of things already. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the things I found that the classes like the the stand-up classes that are being done um in denver and stuff they're really teaching them that part of it too just mm -hmm. the, the business side of things and how mics work and what to expect so you're not they're not walking into mics um you know not knowing what to expect and then there's a you know with women there's obviously safety issues that a lot of women have yeah. Um, that impedes them from traveling. That's how this all got started because the the festival, I just wanted to bring women together from all over the country so they could network and they could um, connect in, a, in an environment they knew was safe and supportive. And then now they have connections in other cities if they want to go there. And then that makes connections to other cities, you know, because I take off on the road by myself uh no problem but i know a lot of people aren't you know especially women are not are not like that right. um, but yeah i mean it's nice to know somebody in a scene if you know a, a booker offers you their couch um and you can message somebody you know in that scene and be like hey is this booker a creep yeah um, i mean should i sleep on their couch <laughs> just to like like the thing about starting your own scene is you know i started i was living in charlottesville there was no comedy club in Charlottesville. There was no open mic in Charlottesville. And I was doing improv, and I just saw an ad in the space of this guy was bringing a comic in from Baltimore. He was doing, like, a fundraiser. This is, like, fall of uh, 2006. And I, I signed up to do I did five minutes. It was fine. And then the next spring, 2017, he was doing it again, and I did it again. And so, like, like I said, there's no, this is, the, this is the only thing that's ever done stand-up as far as I know. And so I decided my third time I did stand-up, I did a full hour, and I booked, a, I booked a bar that had a performance area, and I sold tickets, and I, made, I think I made 90 bucks, and I did an hour's worth of material my third time I did stand-up. And so... Like anytime I hear someone who's been doing stand-up for like four months, and they're like, when do you start getting paid? It's like, you get paid when you like make the effort to get paid, you know, like the, it's, it's all out there. And plus if you're building your own scene, that's the way I met so many comics is they, after, after I started doing open mics, I was doing at one point I was running maybe three or four open mics uh, a month or like half open mics and half book shows where people could do longer times. And people just like would Google search 
you know, let's do let's stand up in Charlottesville. And they see that I'm running this thing or they, they saw I had a blog for a while about our shows. Um, but that's how people find you. And so my first time I went on the road was someone who contacted me about doing a show. And I gave him like 50 bucks to do a show. And he did a show in our little bar that we did our shows in. And then I made a return trip, you know, six or seven months later when I was ready. So doing it yourself is a great way. And then you're in control, you know? If you talk about like you don't feel safe going to going to you know, we all know every scene has those two or three comics that like all you know, all the women are just like stay away from that guy, you know? You can make you you set the standards of your own show. So those people aren't gonna be there. Those people aren't welcome. And the audience learns to know what to expect from your shows. So you can cultivate the audience you want. The audience the audience you're cultivating is gonna laugh at what you're giving to them because yeah. you're, you're growing them. And then I said, comics will contact you. And that's really the secret is if you have a show to run and you can give someone 50 bucks, someone who's doing something in another city will find you. Uh, We brought a lot. My brother and I brought a lot of um, like Denver comedians to Wichita um, several times and just other comedians because there's a lot of comedians that are traveling through that are driving past Wichita. So even if they don't make a lot of money, even if it's just for tips or whatever, it's better than nothing that is what they would have got. So they just make a stopover and we can usually find somewhere for them to crash. And uh, I just didn't have, I started, I've been doing it for four years. I started at 38 and I didn't have, you know, some comedians were like, don't leave, stay here, build this scene. And I'm like, I don't have 10 years to devote to building a scene. One and two, I don't want to stay in Wichita, but um, it, you know, I do like producing, but going to Denver, I don't have, to produce in Denver. Um, yeah. I'm producing, they're all fundraisers. It's all about the nonprofit. It's the no. only, it's the only reason I produce any shows is because, um, the nonprofit to promote it and hopefully raise funds for it and stuff like that. Um, yeah, cause there's just already a ton of shows and mics. Not that there's not always room for more. If it's just, you need to have a, in Denver, if you're going to start a new show, there needs to be some sort of theme. There needs to be something, but there's so much audience in Denver for DIY comedy that it's amazing. Whereas in Wichita, there were people that built a scene. There was no scene, you know, five years ago. So there were young people that built it up and then my little brother got in with them and now he's still here building it up and, you know, they're doing all they can to build it. But, um, there's only so much audience here that enjoys that. Um, so it can get saturated pretty quickly. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, Charlottesville is like a town of like, you know, the school's there. And so during the day, there's probably like 50, 60,000 people in town. But actually living in town is like 20, 25,000 people. Yeah. It's very small. And they all work, you know, our shows were all downtown. So they'd all be downtown. They'd all be at the university. And then they'd go out to the suburbs after work. And like, so getting them to stay for shows was tough. And um, you just can't, like I said, you have to do, you have to do good shows, you know? And so we- College towns is that, um, like Lincoln, Nebraska. I really like Lincoln and Omaha, but Lincoln, like the kids, like not in the summer, but during the school year, you know, and you got a new crowd that's circulating in. Mm-hmm. every year because these kids leave school and the kids come into school and so this is just rotating crowd of younger people and it seems to be younger people that are more into the whole DIY thing but I have found that when I did because I did art of female comedy shows here um, for a little while in Wichita and they were you know I was getting like 20-30 people at them at the end there um, and it it was mostly women. There were so many older women there and they were just hungry for female comedy. They, they wanted to come see some comedy that they could relate to that wasn't um, just some, you know, white dudes or men. Or, and so they were really, you know, happy. But it was funny because these ladies, there was this old lady and then her mother who was like really old. I mean, they're like 70 and 90 or something like that. And they wanted us to start an hour later. <laughs> 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 on a Friday night. They wanted us to start at nine, not eight. Yeah. Like, really? <laughs> yeah. That'd be the other way around, ladies. But um I think that, you know, it's it's um 
people really seem to want to enjoy comedy that's not what they've always heard. I mean, the like, yeah, the opportunity is out there. Is you have a unique voice. Um, you have to you have to work on finding your voice. You have to be true to yourself. And like I said, find the find your way to get out. And if that means that you have to to go outside, um, go outside the, the 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 norm, then you can do that because. I mean, we make our own rules, you know, we're not bound. There's no law of comedy that says you have to do X, X, and X, like do whatever you want. As a matter of fact, you'd probably find that most people who are successful didn't just get in line and wait for some dumb break. They went out and made it happen. Um, I'm saying people that, that's what I was trying, because like my friends always like, no, you're going to be famous, blah, blah, blah. I was like, people that end up famous don't accidentally end up famous. No, they want to be famous. They wanted to be famous and they were. And you can tell. When you're working with comics, you can tell the ones who really love comedy and the ones who want to be famous. Because <laughs> the ones who want to, the ones who want to be comics and enjoy comedy, work at the craft. And if a joke doesn't work, they make it better because they believe in what they're saying. And the ones who want to be famous kind of just chase whatever you can just tell in their set. They're just trying to be whatever's popular in the moment, or they're just trying to like this worked last month. This worked last week for someone else. Now I'm going to try something similar. Um, and the, the crafting isn't there. And they quit, they quit way easier. Yeah. They, they're, they're quicker to quit because they're, they're just trying to be famous. I always tell people, I'm like, if you want to be famous, um, you can just go, like, murder 18 people and you'll be pretty famous. Like, that, if that's well, all you want. The thing is, too, to, it is way, it's way more tolerable than going to open mics, too. So People that get famous have been plugging away and working for, like, a decade. It's not something that people get quickly. They yeah. feel... It feels like that to us uh, as audience members that they blew up overnight, but that's not how it works now. Um, you know, well, we haven't seen all the open mics they did. We haven't seen them traveling the chuckle bucket circuit and like doing their, their 20 minutes or their 40 minutes or whatever. Um, but that also goes back to like these, when you have a new comic and they're like, I've been doing this for four weeks. When do we start getting paid? And it's just like, you have no idea what, what the law, what this, what happens here. If that's a comic concern, that before anything yeah. else, you have to love doing comedy. Yeah, if getting paid is your concern four weeks in, then you have a problem. Walmart's um, not right, they pay. I just tell new comics, don't worry about any of that. Just worry about being funny and being kind. That's it. At first, that's all you got to worry about is just being funny and not being a jerk to people. Um, Everything well, will happen as it happens, but that just that's just all that's all you need to worry about four weeks in. Six or put, put in your own work. Find a bar that'll give you a percentage of the door or a percentage of their, their booze sales during your show and run your own open mic and make it a good open mic. Yeah, anytime someone complains about a mic, because that happens a lot, so they don't like how because like in Denver we don't most of the mics don't go just at, on the list. They're curated to a, a certain degree. Sure. And there's a lot of comics that have been doing comedy for a long time are upset they're not getting put up earlier, even though they were there earlier. And the, the thing is, is like, if you're doing comedy, if you've been doing comedy for four years regularly in Denver and you're not getting put up early at mics, um, I suggest you change scenes or start your own because uh, you're obviously not good enough. I mean, because they put people up early at mics that are like, Funny, because it's about the crowd. You know, you want to make, you don't want to run the crowd off from the get-go. And so, is these mics that go like on for four hours or something. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, there's like 40 comics. It would actually be way easier for the host to just go in a, in line. It's yeah. so much simpler just to go by order that they signed up. Yeah. Um, but they don't do that, and it's a lot of work what they do to get everybody up within a reasonable amount of time. Because they're trying to make it a sh show that an audience wants to watch so that you're not just telling jokes to a bunch of comics. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know if an open mic can ever be a show that you can, like if it's just a, a clear open mic where you sign up, there's no way you can just make that a show that I'm doing this for an audience. It's just like, you know, you want it to be good. You kind of you like call out or, or people who are like ruining your vibe that you're trying to get with, but if you're just letting anyone sign up, you're kind of just, I mean, I, I, when I was running up my, I this one dude come up, he's like, Hey, I've never done comedy before. I'm from Baltimore. I'm here for work. And I've always wanted to do 
stand up and he, I'm like, yeah, sure. You got five minutes. And he gets up and he starts telling Bill Clinton jokes. This is like 2010, 2011. And he just, uh, he got in a fight with the bartender and the bartender kicked him out. And so I go, I, I didn't know any of that. I go to get a drink. The bartender tells me all this. The show goes on for like another hour, two hours. I leave the venue. I'm carrying out my PA and all this stuff. And this dude's in the parking lot waiting to talk to me. He's just like, I don't know what the hell's going on here, but that bartender was rude. And I'm like, dude, what do you want me to do? You're from Baltimore. I'm never going to see you again. I don't give a shit. I got The bartender's more important to me than you are. And you're Bill Clinton's jokes. You're Bill Clinton's jokes. Just, no one cares. Go. Yeah. So there's like, sometimes when you're running open mic, there's nothing you can do, you know? Yeah, you just don't, you just want to make sure that you're not getting like three of those in a row, you know? So yeah, well, I when I started, when I started, we would, because it was so small, I basically put out the thing like, who wants to do stand up? And we met every Sunday and worked on our material together. So that when we did our first open mic, our open mic, which was just us, there, I knew who had good material and even people who didn't have strong material had been able to work on it. So no one came in with just material that couldn't reach an audience. And we did that every Sunday for a almost as long as I was living in Charlottesville, we, I would meet and we would just bullshit around, read our jokes, give each other notes and, um, and then do the shows. So like, I always kind of had an idea of how to lay things out and where to put the dude from Baltimore. Yeah. I mean, the comics in Denver, there's a lot of the same ones to come to mics, even though the mics have 30, 40 comics at it. So when you host, you get to know yeah. the comedians and who's good and who's not. Um, and it's not that they have to wait too much longer after they sign up. Um, you know, you don't sign up first and go last unless you're a jerk and they're messing with you. Um, mm -hmm. or you've come up to them and asked them, when do I go up two or three times? <laughs> um, yeah. But there are some mics there that are really good and they have actual audiences. Yeah. And that's because but that's the work of the person running the show who, yeah. does, who puts on and curates a good show. And my advice to people when they complain is go start your own mic then. Go yeah. produce your own show then. Like these, we, when this, this summer there's just a huge fight about, you know, censorship and political correctness and all this. You had like, oh my God, both extremes in the Denver scene. And so the ones that complained about everybody being too PC, I was like, well, go start your own shows. If you say there's an audience, yeah, go start your own. Go start your own rape fest joke festival. Yeah. But don't come trying to tell it to the audiences that these producers have cultivated and they know their audience and they know their audience doesn't want to hear that. You say there is a, a market for it. You're just convinced that people want to hear it. Then go start your own shows and get those people to put their butts in seats and make money off of it. Go. Yeah, go. Go, go mine this gold mine of PC hating people who are paying to see comedy shows. Um, and yeah, you're probably um, gonna have to leave Denver. You're probably going to have to go up to Thornton or Greeley or something. Yeah. And, and, and anyway, I mean, whatever, who's lost the idea that you can't do comedy because of PC is just, uh, it's so dumb. Yeah. It's, just like, it's not true. It's like, you can't do it because you're not funny. That's what the problem is. No, definitely. That is what the problem is. And but, yeah, like yeah, whatever your complaint is with the scene, if you're so convinced that you're good or you're so convinced that you deserve something, then it shouldn't be too much for you to put in the work. And that's the thing, is they don't want to put in the work. And a lot of people like that, they don't want to be comics. They want to just ruin your scene because uh, whatever, their ego is so fragile that they get they get as much from like making the audience hate them as they would from putting in the work and telling good jokes. Yeah. Just whatever. That's what it is. They weed themselves out eventually, so I just kind of like to ignore them. I mean, they're all they're all out protesting the lockdown, so they're going to die of coronavirus anyway. So it's a self-fixing problem, really. Well, most of them are just home too stoned to do anything at the moment. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh my god. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot there's a lot of comedians in Denver and in the Denver comedy scene. So you know, no one's there. You're always going to have people that are unhappy. You can't please everybody. <laughs> you know. I mean, that comes with any anything. Someone's always going to want to. Well, like I said, that I mean, there's nothing. No one in your life is stopping you from doing what you want. 
this life coach me merging with with yeah. comedian me. It's just like and I'm sorry if I keep swearing, but it, it's it's a thing that gets me. It's like go out and do it. Like stop complaining and go out and do it. If you think, like I said, these anti PC dudes, or if you're um, and less angry at these people, but if you're a woman who thinks you're not being treated fairly in your scene, like you can, oh my God, you could you can find a place that would want to have a strong woman's show that you curated and make it better than that. Like let the, let the anti PC dudes have their show that no one enjoys and sucks and go to a restaurant where they're like, you know what? I was at a restaurant and usually uh, how many times you're at a restaurant and they're like, Oh, it's our open mic night tonight. And you immediately dread the fact that you're there. If you're not a comic, uh, how great would it be for someone who's just there for dinner to see a good comedy show that was all women? Yeah. That'd be, that'd be the perfect scenario. Yeah, no, for sure. I think just the more, that's what I want to do with the nonprofit. I just want to make more of the others, hopefully. I mean, of course, the whether they actually go out and perform comedy or not, I think just taking the classes and, and stuff can be beneficial just in a matter of making them have a different outlook on things and just to view things differently. But I, I hope that, you know, my grand scheme would be to make more comedians that are the others, as I call us. Yeah. Basically, anyone but a cisgender straight male. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think even, like I said, even if you don't get from, I recommend taking an improv 101 class. Uh, everyone thinks they'll be bad at it. Everyone thinks the, that it'll be scary. And it's just like, you, you you're missing what improv is about if you think that you have to be able to come up with stuff like this. It's really just about listening and allowing yourself to be receptive to what's going on around you. And I think that's a powerful thing, even if you're not going to perform, to take eight weeks and learn how to listen, how to emote, how to like pick up on other people's emotions, um, how, to, how to just like, I always, tell, I always tell people, if you really want to see about how good you are with emotions, like every time you talk to someone for a week, just like, Try to try to figure out what their emotion is when they're talking to you. And if that's too much, like just look in their eyes and like mentally know what their eye color is. And first of all, you realize how often you don't notice that. But it's just like a great way to like, how can I, how can I like that be in touch with the person I'm talking to? So even if you're not going to do improv, it's such a valuable life skill to learn uh, just to connect with other people. And stand up is the same thing. Even if you're not going to be a stand-up comic. Like when I, I taught a class and my whole thing was like, we took stuff from your life and we talked about it. And it's just like, how can you comfortably talk about these things that you've, that you've done, that you've been through? Um, and how do, you, how do you just have the confidence to, to, to project that when you're on stage? And so many life skills that you can learn. Uh, I feel like being a good, doing a good job as a stand-up comic is the same as giving a good presentation at a business meeting, you have to be able to communicate what you're about to the audience and you have to let them see the world through your eyes. And then they'll, they'll see what's funny once they see where you're coming from. You know, I've seen so many comics at open mics where they just, they just make up these weird things and no one laughs and everyone you know, afterwards are just like, that was, I thought that was really funny. It's like, no one knew what the hell you were talking about. Like you have to connect with the audience, just like, just like a business presentation. You have to lay out what you're about and then you have to present it. And if, and if the audience can't get you get who you are and, and what you're about in the first 30 seconds, man, you better have something really, really generic and funny for them to latch on to, or they're not going to get anything you're saying. Yeah. And right. They're like, they, I keep going to mess with hair I don't have <laughs> anymore. Um, I think that's a good stopping point, though. That's you made sure. some really. I'm I'm really glad to have talked to you. You made. Some really good points that I hadn't heard yet, um, especially about the improv. And I'm glad that I, uh, if then I am, I am right. I like being right. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah. Uh, good luck to you, and I hope that maybe next year when I have the festival, you can make it out to Denver. Hopefully. Yeah, I'll definitely. I won't apply. I'll just tell you, like, hey, I'm coming out to Denver. Make sure I'm on the festival probably about how it's going to go next year anyway so perfect <laughs> i'll definitely be there yeah i, I told i i'm going to be throwing out like invitations obviously to the people that were supposed to be on it this year and then anybody i've interviewed on this show 
um, yeah. that wasn't part of the festival, obviously will get a personal invitation. And I probably won't have to like, hopefully I don't have to do the whole submission thing because it's a real pain in the ass, even though you yeah. get submission fees for it. Yeah. Going through the videos and looking at them all is real time consuming. Yeah. Do you <laughs> so know? Um, I don't reject very many of them. Yeah. Because they're all like the first, the year last year when I did it, I had like 102 submissions and I got it down to like 60 something and I only had 34 spots. Cause it was just two days there. Here. Yeah. And I was like, Oh my God, I want all 60 something of these. And now yeah. it's four days. So I can have that many. <laughs> yeah. I so wanted to do the festival last year, but I just remember last year in August, I was on road trips for comedy for three consecutive weekends. And I was just like, there's no way, like even I don't even know if it was close to that time period. There's just no way that I could afford to like to like make that trip as well. But, yeah, I mean, and if you wanted to do a one woman show type thing, I'm gonna have mm -hmm. this year. There were gonna be two sketch groups. There was gonna be an improv group and um, a show, a movie that is like mm -hmm. a dark comedy that stars and was written and directed by all women. Nice. So it's gonna be more than just stand up. Um, I would have liked to have gotten more improv, more sketch, more things that weren't just your normal stand-up yeah. um, because it really breaks up. When you have six hours of a show with breaks, it really breaks yeah. up the monotony if it's not just stand-up after stand-up after stand-up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Do you know, you're in Denver, do you know Brittany Rose? Sounds familiar. She was, she was going to do the festival this year. Yeah. And, and, and so... Um, but her and I have been talking about, because um, she does stand up, but she's also done improv in the past. So maybe, um, maybe we could improvise together if we both get into the festival next time. But that would be fun. Yeah, yeah I want to have. Yeah. I love improv. I love watching other people do improv. My brother was in an improv group here, um, and some of the other comedians have been in it through the years. Mm -hmm. um, I love being an audience member in improv. <laughs> um, I don't think I would love performing improv but yeah. I want to try it and learn it and at least take at least take like whatever an improv 101 course yeah. and like learn those basic skills and get your class showing at the end and swallow your fear and do it and like I said just realize like I think everyone thinks you have to be like super quick-witted and super smart and i'm not either of those things i'm just like out there you just got to go out there and live those moments and be like this moment is real i'm reacting in it um i'm being in it and i'm listening to the things around me and that's what it is it's not about trying to make a joke or or any of those things you think so you'll be fine yeah i'll just get real high first <sighs> have i taught you nothing <laughs> Just sign up for a class, and if you don't, if you don't enjoy it, I'll just I'll personally refund your money. Oh, I got, I got up to up to one hundred twenty dollars, I guess. <laughs> no, I, I got classes I can do. Uh, okay. It's five dollars a week. They have drop-in ones at Voodoo Comedy in Denver. Um, so they're on Tuesdays, and I like to do comedy works on Tuesdays. Yeah. But I'll I'll do it eventually. You know, it's on the list of shit. On the list of shit. On the list of shit. <laughs> Perfect. But you have a good day. Thank you very much for joining me. Yeah, glad to do it. I hope to meet you in person sooner than later. Yeah, we'll do it. We'll make it happen. Talk to you later. Bye. All right. Bye.